Hello, podcast listener. This is the Antioch Community Church in Dallas, Texas podcast, and I'm your host, Zach Daniel. It's the beginning of October. The Rangers are looking good. The Cowboys are looking good, and the fair is in town. And beyond all those things, I have something really special to announce to you today. It's the That We May Project. Now, I'll unpack this project in this week's sermon, but I want to ask you for your partnership in expanding the reach of the gospel here in Dallas. In addition to the That We May Project, our communications team has a few announcements, and then we'll finish out our study on Philemon. What's up, Antioch Community Church? My name is Donnie Tapey, and I'm on the pastoral staff here. Before we get started today, just wanted to give you guys a few things uh, that are going on that we would love for you guys to be a part of. First up, our launch class uh, is officially starting next Sunday. Uh, but this Sunday, today, is the last chance you guys have to sign up. So make sure if you're interested in doing it, that you do that. One of our big desires is to invest in you and to help you have a vibrant relationship with Jesus. We wanna invite you into a six week experience to help you do just that. Uh, it's going to be on Sunday morning during our second uh, service from October 9th to November 13th. Uh, if you have kids, they can attend Children's Church while you are in this uh, discipleship class. So whether you're new to following Jesus or have been walking with him for a long time, uh, if you are looking for a structured opportunity to take some next steps in your discipleship journey, we would love for you to be a part of the class. Uh, you can find more uh, about this at AntiochDallas.org. Our next Welcome to the Family Dinner is on October 23rd from 5.30 to 7 p.m. Uh, this is a great time uh, to get to know some of the staff at the church, uh, to get to uh, meet some other people that may be new to the church, and also uh, just to kind of get some vision as to what we're all about here. Um, and on top of that, there's free food, so that's always a good thing. Uh, if you want to sign up for that, please go online on our website, AntiochDallas.org, and you can sign up there and let us know if you're going to bring kids and if you need childcare and all that kind of stuff. All right, you guys, that's a wrap. Know that we are thanking God for you and praying for you this week. We are going to conclude our study in Philemon today. So if you'll turn your Bibles to Philemon chapter 1, it's the only chapter in the letter. We're going to be in verse 17 through 20 today. As we wrap up this incredibly powerful letter, if you're new with us, let's just uh, tell you the context, maybe a reminder for, for the rest of us. Remember, this is a, a letter from the Apostle Paul. He's writing this letter. He was a Jewish rabbi who encountered Jesus. He became a Jesus follower. And when he saw how awesome Jesus was, he kind of spent the rest of his life just telling people about how amazing Jesus was. He's an old man now in this letter. He's in jail. He's in a, a physical jail, and he's writing to a friend, uh, someone he's mentored, a spiritual son, so to speak, Philemon. Philemon was a wealthy Roman man who became a follower of Jesus under Paul's ministry. Through his relationship with Paul, he, he learned about who Jesus was, what Jesus had done on Philemon's behalf, the new life that Jesus offered, and Philemon became a follower of Jesus. And so Paul who's now in jail, is writing to his protege, his spiritual son, Philemon. And he's writing about a man named Onesimus. Now, Onesimus, interestingly enough, was Philemon's slave. In the Roman Empire, slavery was common. It was everyday practice. It was just kind of everywhere. Well, Philemon, or Onesimus was Philemon's slave. 
he, Onesimus, steals from Philemon, runs away, rebels, uh, says, I'm not doing this anymore, and takes off. And in his running, somehow he runs into Paul. We know not how. uh, We don't know the particulars on how that happened. But he runs into Paul. And Paul does what Paul always does. He welcomes people and he starts telling them about Jesus. And through his relationship with Paul, Onesimus becomes a Christian as well. He becomes a follower of Jesus. And so now Paul is writing to Philemon about Onesimus. And he's helping provide guidance and counsel to a spiritual son, Philemon, to about another spiritual son, Onesimus, and their relationship. And in light of who Jesus is, in light of what Jesus has done for you, Philemon, how does that impact the way that you handle this rift in relationship with Onesimus? How does that impact the way that you handle him? And as we've studied this letter, we've seen for ourselves some incredible things. We've seen what the gospel is, the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus is Lord, and that's good news. And then we've seen out of that, when we receive that, what type of fruit does it bear In our lives, we've seen that it gives us fruit for strength in hard times. That one of the fruits that it bears is that we have this strength when we face hard times. And we've seen that all of us are going to face hard times. All of us are going to face challenges. All of us are going to face when life doesn't work out the way we diagrammed it in the playbook, right? And we're going to need strength. And Jesus in the gospel gives us strength for hard times. We've seen that Jesus in the gospel gives us a deep and wide freedom, that you were made for freedom, and in him you find true freedom. Last week, we saw that in the gospel, we have both a compass, a calling, and courage for justice, and we saw how important that is to our world. As we end the series today, as we read this last little interaction, we're going to see another really incredible, really important fruit that the gospel brings in our lives. And it's the fruit of generosity, the fruit of generosity. Let's look in verse 17. We're going to read 17 through 20. This is Paul writing to Philemon. He says, Philemon, if you consider me your partner, receive him being Onesimus as you would receive me. Now remember, Paul and Philemon were not business partners. They were not uh, in that type of, of sense of a partnership. They were partners in Jesus, that they were together as a part of the family of God, that they had a joint calling to know Jesus and to make him known. You and I have that same calling. We're part of that partnership. So he said, hey, if you'd receive me As a partner, I want you to receive Onesimus like that, not as a second-class citizen, not as one to stiff arm, but one to welcome in. If he, Onesimus, has wronged you at all, or if he owes you anything, charge that to my account. Now think about this. Here's an old man in jail writing to his wealthy spiritual son. If it had been me, I might have written, hey, could you use your power, could you use your money to get me a really good lawyer, to get me out of this jail? That's not what Paul is doing here. That's not what he's writing about. He's writing to Philemon. He's saying, hey, if he's wronged you, if he's done something, if if you've lost money because of him, charge it to my account. I'll take care of it. 
Do we even know if Paul has any money? No, I don't know. He's in jail, right? But there's this generosity that he has where he's looking at this situation and he's just moved and he's just saying, hey, if he's done something wrong to you, charge it to my account. Now, you know Philemon gets this letter. You know that he's being shaped by this and and the natural response would be, I'm not gonna, you're you're in jail, you're an old man, I'm a wealthy man. I'm gonna take care of it. And so Paul is helping shape Philemon in generosity as well. So he says in verse nine, he says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand, I will repay it. To say nothing of you owing owing me even your own self, Philemon. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. I just want to encourage you guys today. You guys, I, I love the generosity that's in this church. I love the way that you walk in that. There's so many interactions that I have where I see your generosity on display with people. I can't tell you how many times we get stories from life groups where where life groups will take up, our small groups will, will take up an offering because they found out someone in their group needed a car and didn't have the money to pay for a car. And so they'll just take up an offering and pay to get their car fixed or even get them a, a new car. I mean, it's just wild. Or there's a medical situation and people will rally together and just give generously. You guys, I, I'm just so proud of the way that you're walking in this, and as we look today, as we study today, let this be kind of um, fuel on this fire, uh, this attribute of generosity that's growing in our midst. Generosity, to me, I don't know if you have friends that are really generous, but when I'm around generous people, I have several friends that that are just you. You just walk away, and you're like, I'm so refreshed by just being around you and seeing the way that you approach life. It doesn't always matter if they're generous like towards me, although that's awesome. I think we all like to receive generosity, right? But just watching the way that they treat and relate with people, I don't know of a, of a characteristic that you would more want to be in your life or have a friend that's like that because being generous means that someone takes notice of you, like they get out of kind of the, the, the world of self and they like lock in on what's going on with you and they take notice and they don't just take notice, but they care. And then they go out of their way to do something to help you in an area where you feel like you have needs. So there's felt need, right? We don't always consider it generous where someone helps us in an area we feel strong about. But it's like when someone notices a need and then goes out of their way to give to that, we're just like, man, that's so endearing. That's what I want to be in my life. That's the type of husband and father and friend and follower of Jesus and and pastor that I want to be. And I see that in so many Uh, of you. Paul was like that. Like if you read through his his letters in the New Testament, if you read through the book of Acts, you see this guy that's just so generous. Like everywhere he's going, he's, he's doing things like this little statement right here. You know, he probably has no money. He's talking to a rich guy. He's saying, hey, for this runaway slave, now come to Christ who's not a slave. He's a brother. You know what? If he's wronged you, I'll take care of it. You see that type of action, that attribute from him all the time. He's always writing letters to people telling them, hey, I believe in you. I'm praying for you. I see the call of God on your life. I know you're going through a hard time. I'm weeping with you. You see, he's generous that he's always like developing other people and put it, pulling other people up and saying, hey, 
you. There's potential in you. You're incredible in this. I want to help develop that and release that. He's just generous. Like he'll go into new places and he'll say, hey, I'm not here to get money from you. He's like, I'm going to make tents and I'm going to do other things. So I'm not going to be a burden on you. And he describes his ministry with the churches that he's planning. He says, like, I'm a father. It's like, I'm a father among you. He's, I'm encouraging you. I'm exhorting you. I, I'm developing you. He even compares this ministry in a, in a like, like, wow, to like a nursing mother. Like he's like gentle with people. And you read that the first time you're like, that's an interesting description. But you get this sense of if you've been around moms with new babies, there's just this thing in them. And they're just so generous to their, their children, right? It's just like hardwired into them. And you see that in Paul and the way that he treats people. So a question for you, is that just a, a characteristic of Paul, kind of like a personality trait, kind of a, a contribution that he made to the Christian faith by just, got, you know, he just was really generous? And I would say, no, Paul's generosity, what we see of his generosity, finds its root, finds its source in the gospel. My family and I, we, we, we uh, have gotten to go to Colorado in the summer uh, two or three times with our kids, and I love going there. I love to go into the mountains in the summertime. You get out of the Texas kind of 150-degree heat, and, and you go either Appalachian or, you know, uh, Rockies. We went to the Rockies a couple times in the last handful of years. And so you, you take your kids out hiking a bit and you'll find these streams that are like really cold and fresh water and, and we'll try and see who can like put their feet in them the longest and, and who can, you know, dip, get down to the knees in them and whatnot. And my kids love that stuff. And as I get older, I like it less and less, but it's fun to play that with them, right? But that water originates from a source, right? It originates from somewhere up in the, the mountains where there's snow that's melting, and it comes from that source, and you may experience it down in the city, but it doesn't come from the city. It doesn't come from the base of the trail. It comes from somewhere up in the, up in the mountains. In the same way, we're seeing Paul's generosity here, but, but it, it doesn't come from him. It doesn't start here. Like, he's always pointing back to this great generosity that he's received. I want you to turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Paul talking about this generosity. He doesn't say, hey, this is just me. I'm just kind of a generous guy. But he's instructing another, another group of friends, another church that he's led, people that he loves deeply. And he's talking about generosity. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, he says to them this, he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. What's Paul saying here? He's saying, hey, the source of generosity is not just because uh, Adam or Alfred or just generous people or I'm just a generous guy, but we together have been recipients of God's generosity in Jesus. That Jesus, though he was rich, he became poor for our sake. So not just as an example of, hey, you know, you grow up, you should be generous, you should share your toys. Not Jesus is just an example. He is an example. 
But he's also, it's different. It's we've received. He became poor for our sake. For your sake, he stepped into your story. He stepped into this world. Out of his riches, he became poor that we might become rich, right? There's a receiving of the generosity of God that happens in the gospel. This is the thing that has shaped Paul. This is the thing that he points back to over and over and over again as the source, the fountainhead of the fruit of generosity. Now, do you know, because I don't know that we normally think about this, but do you know that God is generous? Do you know that one of the main descriptors you could describe Jesus with is that he's marked by generosity, that it's who he is. I just want to walk you through the gospel of John. John's, Jesus' arguably best friend. I mean, he describes himself as that. You know, when you write the story, you kind of get to insert some of those things in there, you know, and, and he does. He's just like, I'm the disciple Jesus loved, right? Maybe everybody felt that. John put it into words. And in the gospel of John, he starts out and he just describes chapter by chapter by chapter the generosity of Jesus. John chapter 1, it starts, and we see God giving his son, God the Father sending, giving God the Son, Jesus. God was skin on into our world. That he stepped into our world. God gave himself. In John chapter 2, what do we see? What happens? Jesus' first miracle he shows up at a wedding, and it doesn't start out by saying, hey, here's where all of you are wrong. Get your act together. We might think that's, maybe that's what God would do. He doesn't say, hey, everyone, bow down and worship me. That's not his first act. You know what his first act is? He walks into a party that's going sideways, and there's something about him that they're like, hey, this thing is going bad. The wine is running out. This is going to be very embarrassing. Let's go to Jesus. And his first public miracle is turning water into wine to amp up the party. I mean, that makes us a little uncomfortable when you think about it. But here's the generosity of Jesus on display. John chapter 3. We move forward and we see him, the way that he treats his enemies, a man named Nicodemus who was part of a, a political party that was against Jesus, that would say lies and try and destroy Jesus, comes to Jesus at night. And we see Jesus taking time for him. We see Jesus loving Nicodemus. We see Jesus sharing, teaching, offering new life to Nicodemus. We see him being generous with even those that were against him, those that would cause him pain. In John chapter 4, Jesus' generosity gets way outside the lines. And we see him offering the grace of life, new life, forgiveness, the water of life to a scandalous woman that everyone in Jesus' day should say, there's no way you should give to her. In John chapter 5, Jesus walks by and he sees a man poor, long crippled, Years and years and years of being crippled and Jesus gives healing to him. John chapter six, one of the famous Jesus stories, he takes bread and he multiplies it and he gives food to the masses. 
John chapter 7, Jesus walks in to one of the biggest festivals of his day. He stands up and he says, hey, if there's anyone here that's thirsty, let him come to me and I'm going to give you living water the water of life. And I'm not just going to give you a little bit. It's going to flow like rivers from within you. John chapter 8, Jesus offers himself as the light of the world. Hey, you feel like you're in darkness? You feel like you don't know which way is up? I'll be a light for you. I'll lead the way. I'll shine for you. John chapter 9, Jesus gives sight to a man born blind. John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. When the devil comes to steal, to kill, and destroy from your life, I don't run away. I don't hide. I don't say, well, you got yourself into this. No, he describes the good shepherd as running into the fight, giving his life for the sheep. In John chapter 11, Jesus walks into a dead man's tomb, Lazarus, and he gives him new life. He says, Lazarus, come forth. In John chapter 12, Jesus gives himself as the humble king of the world rides into Jerusalem to take that spot. John chapter 13, Jesus, God with skin on, humbles himself, washes his disciples' feet. Amazing. John chapter 14, Jesus talks about the home in heaven that he's gone to prepare for us. He's giving us a place. John chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and I give life to you. John chapter 16, Jesus says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, the one who is to come, the comforter, the counselor, the one that's not going to leave you like an orphan, but is going to be with you. He gives us the spirit. In John chapter 17, when he's about to go to the cross, Jesus is interceding for you and for me. He's giving us his prayers. In John 18, 19, 20, and 21, we see kind of the signature act, the defining move of his ministry is he's not just giving healing, he's not just multiplying food, but he gives his actual life away. He goes to the cross for you and for me. And he rises from the dead. And John starts out the letter, he starts out his letter, and he says, out of his grace, We all have received grace upon grace. He says that to whoever would receive him, whosoever may come, Jesus gives the rights to become children of God. He adopts us into God's forever family. Jesus is radically generous. Theologians call it the cosmic generosity of God in Jesus. And this is what shaped Paul. This is what's gripped Paul. This is why Paul in jail, an old man, life, you know, I don't know that you'd say, hey, my life plan is working out. But he said, I'm still gripped by the generosity of God and Philemon. I want you to know the generosity of God. As a spiritual father, I want to shape you. I want to mold you. I want you to see how Jesus has been generous to you. And I want you to walk in that generosity. Man, that's powerful. So powerful. And again, it's not just an example. Man, we should be generous. Remember, John says, from his fullness, from the generosity of Jesus, we all have received grace upon grace upon grace. Everyone in here is the recipient 
of a generous God. And I don't know about you, but I think this might be one of the main places that the devil attacks us. I think this might be one of the main places that we all struggle, I would think. Maybe, maybe there's a, two or three of us, but I think most of us struggle with those nagging thoughts the same way that Eve and Adam thought in, in the garden that the devil came and tempted them. God's holding out on you. God doesn't really have your best interest in mind. God's not really generous to you. What about this situation? And what about that situation? And what about this? And I find, if I'm really honest and I look at myself, and maybe this, is, maybe this will help some people in here, so often I base my view of God's generosity to me on the circumstances of any given day. Did things go well? Man, I'm blessed. You know, do I have enough money in the bank? Man, I'm blessed. Like, that, that's how I look at things. And I've been thinking about that just as I, I, I meditated for this Siri, this, this message, just meditating on the scripture and just contemplating this. And I thought, man, that, that's a really messed up way to view God for me personally. I'm just saying, maybe you connect with this, but for me, that, that's just such a bizarre way because I realized like we, my wife and I, we got the privilege of living in North Africa and, and most of the people that we were with there like had far less than we did. Right, And so I can be in one place with the exact same circumstances of life, but because I can compare myself to someone else and feel like I have more, then I can say, well, God's blessed me. And then I can go to another part. I can drive to certain parts of this city and see what people have. And then by seeing what they have, oh, God's not generous with me. God's holding out on me. And I just, I, I don't know about you, but I just waffle and wane and kind of just, you know, I can change perspective in, in, in five minutes. You know what I mean? Just drive from one part of the city to the another, you know? And I was thinking about that with my son, uh, Eli. He's playing soccer, you know? And if my uh, pride in him, if my relationship with him, if my view of him is like, well, hey, your team won yesterday and you did pretty good. Way to go, buddy. I'm proud of you. And then if he doesn't, if he plays a harder team next week and they're better than he is, and I'm like, oh, you know, you're, you're terrible. Like, what kind of dad am I going to be? It just is not the way we do, that comparison deal is not the way we do relationships. If you compared your spouse to kind of you line five people up against the wall, well, you know, they're better than these five people. They're worse than these five. You know, that's just so weird. Like, why are we like that? And Paul's trying to free us from just that tyranny uh, of just... I don't know, being defined by our circumstances and to see, hey, the big deal is that God gave himself for you. There's a destiny over your life that's greater than the car that you drive, that's greater than whether you get that promotion or not, that you are in. You're invited to the feast of all feasts. One day when death will be swallowed up and pain and sickness will be no more, you're in. And you get to know even better than that. You get to know the king of all kings. You get to know the Lord of all lords. You get Jesus, the greatest treasure, right? That God's generosity is not just give me treasure, but it's that he gave himself the greatest treasure, and we all get that. And he gave himself for the whole world. Man, this is good news. So he gets shaped. You meditate on that. You, you let that sink in. You kind of sit with that a little bit. Your heart starts getting touched. 
You start getting shaped. You'll find your relationships get touched. You find the people around you just like, I just, I don't know. I got touched by the generosity of Jesus, and I just, I just want to shine it through. I just want to put them on display. I want other people to experience this. I want my, my wife and my kids, and I want my coworkers, and I want my neighbors, and I want the people I come in contact with to experience a little bit of the generous, the cosmic generosity of God that I've received. That's what it means to be a witness, right? In my words, and my, in my actions. And, and here, Paul is talking to Philemon about an area of generosity, certainly not the only area, but a very key area. He's talking about his finances. He's talking about Paul's finances, God's generosity with Paul, touching the way that Paul relates to other people. He's shaping Philemon, how many of you have a mentor and they begin to talk with you about an issue? You know they're trying to shape you. They're trying to mold you, right? He's shaping Philemon to what does this generous life look like in the area of finances, right? And so I want to speak with us a little bit about as we grasp the generosity of God, as we as a community say, hey, we're not moving on from this, like week after week, we're going to come back and we're just going to be a community of awe and wonder at how awesome Jesus is and the generosity he's given to us in the cross. As we come back to that, how does that shape our, our finances? And I just want to offer you some, some thoughts. I'm calling this the financial generosity ladder. You can give it a different name. You can give it your own name. That's fine. But this is just kind of the way that I've, I've been thinking about. Kind of ring one, and we can, we can put all rings up there. Ring one is I don't give to anybody. I just, you know, it's all about me, right? If that's where you are, that may be where you are. We all kind of start there, right? But as you receive the generosity of Jesus, it starts to touch your heart. My guess is there's no one in the room that's the I, you know, I don't give anything to anybody. Life is just about me, right? Uh, my guess is you're not there. But if you are, I just encourage you, God loves you too. And God's given himself for you, whether you've been generous to anybody else, we're all recipients of grace, right? And maybe where you're starting. Next, next ring up, I call tipping. Now think of tipping like when you go to a restaurant, you get good service and you're kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna give this, you know, not, not $2 tip, I'm gonna give a $4 tip or I'm not gonna give a $10 tip, I'm gonna give whatever your, whatever your, your amount is, right? It's, it's tipping. You, something touch you and you're just like, hey, or maybe you're a big tipper and you're just like, man, I'm gonna write this waitress or waiter a $50 tip or a $100 tip. I'm just gonna, you know, I'm gonna do that, right? Tipping. We can have that attitude toward giving to the Lord with our finances, and we can have that attitude toward giving to the things of God with our finances. And it, this isn't a bad place to be. This is a great step, right? You get touched by the Lord. And you're like, man, I want to, God, I, I just, I don't know, you're, you're, you've blessed me. I just want to give an offering, right? Or, or you, there's a cause that you hear about something. You're just like, I, I just want to give to that. I've been blessed. I want to I give, right? But it, it's tipping. It's kind of here and there, it's when, you know, a certain set of circumstances happens that you just, you know, you just give. And that may be where you're at. And that's a great place to be. I just want to encourage you. We want to grow in generosity. We want to grow in grace, right? So next kind of ring up the, the ladder is consistent giving. Now, consistent giving is different than tipping, right? Tipping is, well, I feel like it, you know, over here. I feel like it over there. Uh, consistent giving is saying, hey, I, I really, I'm committed to this thing right here. 
Maybe it's a cause. I see Daniel in the back, Austin Street Center. Maybe it's like, man, I, I'm committed to helping the homeless. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be consistent in giving to that. That's awesome. Maybe it's a missionary. Maybe it's a mentoring deal. Maybe it's a, a refugee ministry. I just want to honor you for that. That's a great like next step. It takes some commitment. It takes some saying no to you know whatever your Starbucks or whatever your version of Starbucks is of saying you know I'm gonna I'm gonna set that aside to be able to give that. That's a great step. You can tell your heart's getting touched by the generosity of Jesus when you start moving like that, right? The the next step up the ladder is tithing. Now, if you're new to church, tithing means a tenth. And what we see in the Old Testament, we see God uh, sets up this system of tithing with his people, that they were to set aside a tenth of their income. They were to set aside a tenth of what they had to give to the Lord. And the motivation for this was not that God needs money. I don't know that the Bible says God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? He's, he's, he's rich. God is rich. If you didn't know, God, God is rich, right? But what was he doing? He was in his people. He was creating a way. He was establishing a precedent or a structure that people would honor the Lord, that they would thank him. I don't know. It moves my heart when I do something for my kids and they thank me, right? It's just like, it moves you. And so tithing was not manipulation to try and get God to give more. Tithing was realization of all that we have been blessed in God. And saying, I'm going to set this aside to honor you. Thank you. And to remember that my Savior is not money. My source of comfort and help and security is not my bank account. It's you. You're the one that I've looked for. And it's this cultivated practice of setting that aside and giving it to the Lord, right, to honor him, to honor him with the first fruits of your wealth. Now, uh, I am a wife. We've been tithers a long time. If you talk to people that tithe, they'll swear by it. Like, it's like just this consistent in-season, out-of-season, giving to the Lord, whether you feel like you've got a lot that month or you've got a little, just setting it aside and say, God, thank you for what I've been given. Thank you for your blessing on my life. I want to honor you with this, right? That's a next step. That's a very different mentality. I wish I could preach several weeks on, on tithing because it's a really rich subject, and maybe we'll do that at some point. But for the sake of today, you've got, I give nothing to a tip here or there. To, I'm a consistent giver to I'm, I'm going to tithe. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer this. I'm going to honor the Lord with my finances, right? The next step beyond that is what you get into with this New Testament generosity. So no longer is giving just when you feel like it. No longer is it just like, you know, a consistent deal, but you're, you're tithing, you're giving to the Lord. And that's like training wheels. You're ready to give above and beyond the tithe to the things that God calls you to do right? You begin to move in what the Bible defines as generosity. See, our example as Christians is Jesus who gave, a, gave everything. Though he was rich, he became poor, right? And so we're, we're not defined by, you know, a certain level, but we want to engage in that generosity. So if a step for you is to start tithing, I want to encourage you to take that step. 
If you've been tithing a while, I want to encourage you to seek the Lord on how could I continue to tithe and then begin to move in greater levels of generosity, that generosity could flow through me, that the fruit of who you are could flow through me in a greater way. So it's food for thought, practical challenge for us. Practical, here's how we're, we're, we're going to do something with this in particular, is a campaign called That We May. And I want to explain this to you. You guys know that we're getting ready to move into a new church facility. Praise God. We won't have one with trash bags that catch the water uh, uh, leaking. So praise God. If you're adventurous and you, you, know, you sit back over there, right? Um, we've been talking about this for a while. And, and I want to present this campaign to us as an opportunity that we may walk in, that we may give. And I want to tell you a little bit about that today. So I'm going to read just this sentence I wrote down because I thought it sounded pretty good. Um, We are a generous church with a growing vision. As we learned in our study on the book of Ezra, when God stirs a vision, there's also a need for the finances to fund the vision. Toward that end, that we may is an initiative to help us take meaningful steps towards funding our facility move. So we went through the book of Ezra and we saw earlier this summer, we saw God stirring people's hearts, putting vision in people's hearts. And I've seen that in our community. There's not a week that goes by that I don't hear from from someone saying, God's just stirring me. God's just doing something in our midst, right? And just like the people in Ezra, God put the vision in there, in their hearts before they had the resources to pull it off right? Often the way that God works is not, hey, you have the resources, now I'm going to give you a vision. Often it's, I'm going to put my vision in your heart. You're going to need to step out and trust me, and I'm going to provide along the way to fund the vision, right? You can go through, we can go through a hundred stories in the Bible where that happens, and probably a million more from church history, okay? So as God's been putting this vision in our hearts, it's time for us to step out and believe the Lord, to provide, to fulfill the vision. And so I want to read you just a little, a few things that that we may is for. That we may gather as a spiritual family brought together by Jesus' love and faithfulness to us, where we are moved again and again and again to awe and wonder at his love and his goodness on display and lifted high to our city. That we may have a space to invest with passion and excellence into the next generation, playing our part in our generation to pass on the gospel. In the new space we're moving into, we have a much larger children's space. So no more three-foot halls, no more small rooms. I went and looked at, I was like, man, these rooms are going to be ample. And what that's going to allow us to do is in our generation to play our part here in our city in investing and discipling children. Who, I mean, Jesus is like, let the little children come unto me. We want to walk into that, right? That we were given to this, that we may do that. That we may have a home base from which we can love and serve the poor, the at-risk and the refugee with compassion and the power of the gospel. So you know where we're moving into. It is one of the, the most, at, uh, I'd say, at-risk neighborhoods you know, in Dallas. If you talk with people, hey, that, you know, that's a neighborhood 
that needs a church that loves Jesus and loves people and wants to serve, right? That we may have a home base to step in and contend for refugees and love refugees and that we may have a space, a home base to contend for at-risk kids that are growing up in homes where there's a strife and turmoil and they need someone to believe in them. That we may offer hope and care and love for the poor of our city and embody Jesus that way. That we may. That we may be a house of prayer for all nations here in Dallas. Several weeks ago, we talked about Jesus' call in the church to be a house of prayer for all nations. We have the nations in Dallas, everywhere, right? We wanna be a house of prayer. We wanna move in greater ways toward interceding and praying for our city and the people of our city and the world that we may make disciples who step into the call of God on their lives to carry the gospel to the four corners of the world. Whether that four corners is park cities or Pakistan, we want to disciple and make disciples who step into the call of God on their lives and carry the fame of Jesus forward, that we may. That we may see marriages and families restored. That we may see college students touched and Dallasites mentored for their joy, our city's good, and the glory of God that we may. So that that we may campaign, I think Stephen made a, a cool graphic. There we go. That we may, it is so cool. A giving campaign, so this is our target, is $150,000 to get us into the space. Now, I'll be real honest with you, I don't have $150,000. That's a lot of money to me. It might be a lot of money to you. But when you look around this room, when you consider the other service that we have, if we go in together as the people of God, that we may, and we look with faith in our hearts to the God who's extravagantly generous, that we may, we can step into this. We can do this, okay? So we're gonna have a giving day. We're gonna be talking about the next coming weeks. We're gonna have three giving days over the next three months, or four, I guess, three-ish months. On the 30th of October, on the 30th of November, and on the 8th of January. 30th of October, 30th of November, and on the 8th of January, we're going to have giving days where we step in, we say, hey, that we may be a part of this. And we're going to believe the Lord. And so the last thing, if you can show that slide, how can you be a part? There's two ways that I want you to, I want to ask you to consider being a part. Number one, I want you to pray and ask the Lord, in light of the generosity of Jesus, how can I imitate that in this campaign? Jesus, in light of how extravagantly generous you are, how are you calling me to step in and imitate that in this campaign, okay? Uh, And you may sense as you pray, God put something on your heart that's way outside what you think you can do. I'd encourage you, that's a good place to be, right? Because it causes to trust and to look to the Lord. So don't limit it by what you think you can do. Pray and seek Jesus and ask him, God, what are you calling me to do. The second thing is, how might this be a springboard to take a step up the generosity ladder? So how, as we're talking about giving, how might this, that we may campaign, maybe you're like, man, I've never given to anything. Maybe I'll take a step up and I'll, I'll, I'll give into this. Or maybe it's you've given to some stuff, you're like, I'm going to become a consistent giver. Maybe you're like, I'm going to become a tither. Maybe you're like, I am a tither, but you know what? I'm, I'm going to set apart a little bit extra here 
to give in on a consistent basis that we may, right? I want to present that before you. You'll be hearing kind of uh, more about that in the coming weeks. Again, there's no pressure in this house for anybody to give anything. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver, that we're to let his grace touch our hearts and say, man, I'm in, right? So you don't need to feel any pressure. If you're new with us, you feel free to give, but there's no expectation on you. But I want to encourage us to begin to grow even more in this generosity that we may be a part of what God wants to do in our house and in our city. If you'll rise, if I can get the band to come on up. Jesus, thank you for your extravagant generosity toward us. I pray more than anything today, Lord, that you would give to us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to see just how generous you've been to us. I pray that walls would come down, that, that, that blind eyes would be open, that our hearts would be touched again with just how generous you've been to us, Lord. Help us, Jesus, not to define your generosity based on what type of car we drive or where we go to lunch or don't go to lunch today, Lord, but help us to define your generosity based off your character, based off giving yourself in your son on our behalf, based off the thing that's really important, Lord. God, and I pray that as a community that we would step into what you're calling us to as a part of that we may, that this wouldn't be a house that's built on the sacrifices or the giftings of a few, but on the sacrifices of many, that we as the people of God would step into the purposes of God for our generation here in our city. In Jesus' name, as the band leads us in worship, should encourage us to honor the Lord.